we're always changing. We're always adapting. We're, you know, we're just a really kind of unique uh, program in that way. And, and that's, you know, just the managers that are constantly looking for new ways to meet the needs of the veterans. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So today on Learning Unboxed, I am super excited because we are going to be talking about a program that I've been hearing about for years and have been quasi arm wrestling a colleague to say, hey, let's talk about this crazy thing called the Veterans Curation Program. What the heck that has to do with future of work, um, with education, and with society in general. So I'm really super excited to be able to have that conversation today. And joining us, we have three wonderful participants, leaders, actors in the program, and they're going to sort of explain all of their roles as we go along. So um, very quickly, we have uh, Jessica Munt, um, who has worked with the Veterans Curation Program, or VCP, as they refer to it internally, since 2014. And she currently serves as the project manager uh, for the program, where she provides quality assurance, guidance, and support uh, for the VCP facilities. So Jessica, welcome. And joining Jessica is Shannon Johnson, who is an archaeological laboratory technician for the program, and she's in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and Shannon processes prehistoric U.S. Army Corps of Engineers archaeological and archival collections, and how cool is that? It is awesome, and thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. And I should also add that Shannon is um, a veteran. Uh, she served with the U.S. Air Force, so that's pretty exciting, and I'm sure we'll talk about that connection as well. And then joining both Jessica and Shannon is Kelly Brown, um, who has been part of the Veterans Curation Program team since 2015, and she is currently the Archives Laboratory Manager at the Augusta Laboratory, where she's responsible for the rehabilitation of documents associated with archaeological investigations. And I know everybody wants to know, what the heck does that mean, Kelly? So we'll talk about that. Welcome to the program. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs> um, so as I, I said right at the beginning, this is a program I've heard inklings about over the course of a number of years, and I've had some generalized um, sort of explanations. And so, Jessica, I'm really hoping that you can give us the sort of hundred, you know, thousand foot view of what the heck is the Veterans Curation Program. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so the BCP started, we opened our first lab in 2009, um, and it was really the idea of Dr. Sonny Trimble. At the time, he was the head of the Mandatory Center for Expertise uh, for the Curation and Management of Archaeological Collections. That's in St. Louis, and that's part of the St. Louis District for the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, so he was asked to lead the mass grave uh, graves excavations in Iraq, and it was kind of through that work that they got enough evidence to really hold Saddam Hussein responsible for war crimes. So, you know, hugely important work, but as, you know, part of that work, he also worked alongside service members. They kind of protected him and his team of experts while they were in Iraq. So when he got back to the U.S., 
he, you know, started to see that it was difficult for a lot of mm-hmm. service members to transition into the civilian world. So he wanted to, you know, do something about that. Uh, he also had a second problem, and, and that was that he had all of these archaeological collections, um, and he needed to ensure that they were up to federal standards. So he needed to be sure that they were all in the correct type of, you know, plastic bag, and they were housed in the right way mm-hmm. so that they would, you know, be in, in good shape so that future researchers uh, could access them and, and, and use them. So he created the BCP uh, to hire veterans to curate archaeological collections. And, you know, here we are over a decade later, and we have uh, four flagship labs. We've got one in St. Louis, one in Alexandria, Virginia, Augusta, Georgia, and we also have one in San Mateo, California. Um, and as you mentioned, we, we teach veterans to uh, rehabilitate archaeological collections and also the archives that, that go along uh, with those excavations. And through this, the veterans uh, gain transferable skills. So a lot of database management, we photograph, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a percentage of every collection, so they get photography training. Um, and we also do professional growth and development. And that's where we give them a little bit of time each week to really work on that kind of next goal in their life, whatever that might be. It could be school or, or a job or, um, you know, whatever it is they want to move on to. It's, you know, most sure. of the, the veterans in the program. Not, <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, all, as the archaeologists, yeah. this, we're like, oh, so that's too bad. Kind of we, we need more archaeologists. Yeah, we, we totally understand. So I, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> so, you know, the... What's, what, one of the things that really appealed Definitely. to me about being able to have this conversation, you know, uh, granted, the, the, the linkage back to, to my own background and passion as an anthropologist and archaeologist, but, but more to the point, you know, as, as we at Past Foundation and the work that we do around helping a lot of young people figure out and find careers, but as part of that, we interface with a lot of industry partners, so lots and lots of companies. And one of the common things that I've heard over the years repeatedly is companies talking about that, you know, trying to figure out how can they meaningfully, you know, either employ veterans um, or help veterans find find meaningful, like you said, that transition back into the civilian society. And so what does that all mean? And sort of what are the needs? And I think there's a lot of fear, quite frankly, from companies about, well, what does that really mean? What am I getting 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 into? And so you know, Shannon, as, as you know, when we first, before we turned that program on, we were just talking very briefly about, you know, you were excited to get to be part of this program, not sure that it was going to be able to continue on and where there'd be a spot and all those sorts of pieces. And so I really would love for you to share with our listeners, you know, sort of what, what was the appeal um, about this for you? And what do you, what do you, what are you getting out of that? And what is that sort of typical veteran experience, I guess, um, coming out of this program? Before uh, being a part of this program, I attended SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, for my graduate degree in arts administration. Um, what attracted me to that program was because, was that, of course, I have a banking and finance background. I'm a full advocate for culture preservation and histor- anything that's historical, whether it be um, a-, a building, any type of uh, excavations that may be done that can be seen in a museum or in any capacity. So it was just ironic that I ran across this program that I had no idea existed. So I said, why not give it a try? And then, of course, it, especially during a pandemic, it right. worked out. I was able to be a part of it. And not only that, when I actually was selected and actually doing the work, 
I was amazed at what I was touching. I was touching history. I was touching the history of those people who can't tell their own stories themselves. And not only that, we get to see those arch- well, archaeologists that excavated these um, artifacts and bones and animals over 50, 60 years ago that are, mm-hmm. let's say, a few thousand years old. And I was just amazed at what I was seeing. So I, I, I was like, well, maybe one day the things that we touch and we use will be artifacts as well. So if we're able to uh, pay it forward, should I say, mm-hmm. it will continue to cycle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to circle back around just a little bit more before we transition over to Kelly, Shannon. So so tell us, because I'm sure our listeners are, are really wondering. So it's awesome because you were so jazzed about what it is that you're doing. But, you know, and again, you know, just hearing, you know, some of the folks that have been involved with the program over the years, you know, the the group of participants that come in, you have fairly varied backgrounds and experiences in your, you know, how you grew up, where you came from, what your experiences were prior to the military, and then a wide array of experiences, I assume, in your service as well. And so then how does that then translate back into sort of the the, the day-to-day actions or activities within the program as they relate to that question, that that piece that Jess, Jessica was mentioning about that rehabilitation or the the re-entry is I think probably a more appropriate way to think about it. So 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 help us understand that from the veteran perspective. No matter what branch of the military that you come from, the first thing they teach us is paying attention to detail. And with dealing with archaeological artifacts or whether it be archival documents, they must be handled a certain kind of way. You have to be very analytical in exactly what you're looking at. One thing could look like it's a stone or a rock. Once you clean it off, that, that could be a bone. You have no mm-hmm. idea. So by going, taking that extra step into what you're doing and taking pride into knowing that this is someone else's history, You're taking a lot of pride into what you're doing, just as when you served in the military. But at the same time, while being a part of this program, we have great leaders at the Augusta location that guide us into how to do things properly, whether we have an archaeological background or have done this type of work or not. We still have to hone those same skills that we utilize within the military to do this job because this is their story and we don't want to ruin or destroy uncompromise anything that we touch because once we are done with it it goes to another person's hands to present it to the public if need be so why not um get do the get some of the best leaders and that who were a part of the military to be a part of the archaeological process of presenting these artifacts and archival documents as well Sounds like a perfect fit, actually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that That's awesome. <laughs> so, Kelly, I want to talk with you a little bit about helping our listeners understand this whole notion of rehabilitation of documents, for starters, um, because I, th- I thought that was a, an awesome way to sort of describe the work that you do and sort of what that looks like. But help us understand sort of the role that you have within this program and then how that translates back in across the work that happens at these four sites? Yeah. So like Shannon was saying, uh, one of the first things that I think my role kind of plays into is we get a lot of veteran technicians that have absolutely no background in archaeology. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so as soon we only get five months with our technicians. So one of the first things we have to do when we get them in is kind of an extensive like, here's what anthropology is. Here's <laughs> what we're about to dive into. Um, this is what archaeology is. This is why it's important. And so we kind of have to go through, you know, sort of the ethical things, how to handle mm-hmm. artifacts, what to do if you do find a bone, how to, you know, handle important uh, provenience, which is often a concept that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind Mm -hmm. around. Um, So we go through all that kind of stuff before we even get to the concept of um, like archives and artifacts. They don't get to touch those things until we, uh, (laughs) you know, get through a lot of PowerPoints. (laughs) Yeah. So then uh, once we do get through, if you survive the death by PowerPoint week, um, we do get to the actual artifacts and documents. That's sort of rehabilitating documents to me as the archive manager mm-hmm. is um, there's a lot of things like cleaning and mending. We do get, turns out archaeologists are not uh, the best at storing their documents. Um, yeah, we're kind of terrible <laughs> at that sometimes I have to, to admit, you know, your field notebook comes back and there's a cake of mud in the middle of it and you just toss it in the file, right? Exactly. So <laughs> sometimes you open a box that's been on a shelf for, you know, 40 years and it's, it, it's a mess. <laughs> So a lot of goes into, you know, figuring out what archaeologists from 40 years ago were thinking mm-hmm. and then trying to, to establish some kind of order back into those files so that our, you know, researchers of today can access those files and then use it so that they can, you know, make sense of the artifacts that go along with that. So it's working with the, um, the technicians to have their help to, you know, look at all these boxes full of documents and um you know, getting those things cleaned, mended, put into new folders, um, getting photographs cleaned and put into new uh, slides and new sleeves so that they last a lot longer on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately getting the stuff into a new database and um, that's searchable and usable. And we kind of do all of that with artifacts as well. They get new bags, they get a new database, they get, mm-hmm. you know, stored a lot better. Yeah, um, yeah. And then ultimately, where does this stuff go, Kelly? Because, you know, our listeners are going to, some of them are going to say, hey, that is really amazingly cool. And especially our listeners who are um, teachers or in schools, you know, always looking for very authentic things for students to do. And quite frankly, I always argue, you know, archives and collections of no matter what it's about, you know, that's that's real data, data that needs people to work with this. So where does this stuff go and can people ultimately get access to it? So our ultimate goal is to get this stuff uploaded onto the digital archaeological record, which is, uh, it's Mm -hmm. called TDAR. But it does, you, it's all of this belongs to the Army Corps of Engineers. So ultimately you'll have to ask for permission to access some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is, it does have sensitive information in it. It's sure. you know, an archaeological site after all. But we do want to get this stuff into the hands of the public. Ultimately, I think we had uh, a tribal member um, that used to come to our uh, meet and greets, Dr. Charles Coleman of the, mm-hmm. the Thotwako tribe. And he always said, he had a saying that was, he wants to get this stuff out of the shed and into people's heads. And mm, I just thought that was perfect. just the greatest, yeah. you know, like, uh-huh. Absolutely. out off the shelves and into people's hands. So I do think ultimately, you know, the stuff is going, it goes from our labs back to the repository that we got it from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I do think that the ultimate goal is for people to know about these collections and to, you know, 
ask about them so that they can have access to them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that out of the shed and into your heads. And so Jessica, <laughs> I want to I want to sort of piggyback on that and also something that Shannon was talking about, the fact that part of this work is um immersing yourselves, whether you're the technicians, you're the veterans that come and participate in the program, or you're you're sort of the the other folks over a long history, quite frankly, in many, many cases, it sounds like, that have been involved with the various projects that you're working on, you are telling stories, right? You are telling the stories of, 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 uh, a very diverse group of archaeological sites generally that fall under the purview of the U.S. Army or, or Army Corps of Engineers. I mean, it's all kinds of sites from all over the country. And, you know, one of the things that folks are always wrestling with is how do you, and I'm just curious, this is really more of a, a curiosity that I think that folks would be wondering. So I, you guys um, provide me a great opportunity to be able to ask this question, but how do you, in your, your work today of going and recataloging and sort of uh, rehabbing, if you will, a variety of different components of these projects sort of help understand the story from the context in which it was excavated, right, by whoever it was that excavated in their own internal mindsets and their own backgrounds and their understanding and their interpretations, and then translate that into some what are hopefully a lot of better, more robust understanding. So, you know, back to out of the shed and into heads, you know, so I, I truly love the fact that gentleman is saying, hey, you know, this is our story. We want to be able to tell the story, but we need to put it both into the context of the moment in which the excavation happened, but also into the appropriate context in the moment of today. How on earth do you do that? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think the rehabilitation part is intentional, but there's other things that happen that aren't necessarily intentional. So yes, getting going into the boxes, getting everything in good order and saying, what does this number mean? Oh, those are test units. We need to be sure that that test unit number is represented in every description that we have for all of these related documents or related artifacts. So just sorting out what the information means and getting it in kind of a digestible format is really the first and one of the you know, most obviously a very important step. But there's other connections that happen that we can't anticipate. You know, I was a lab manager in the Alexandria lab for a few years, and we had a technician that ended up working on a collection that was excavated, um, you know, just miles away from where she grew up. And it was that connection that, I mean, it just, you could see like the revelation, like come through her, you know, she just, she had this better sense of place and a better sense of where she grew up. And she was working with her hands on, you know, things that, that came from that land that she, you know, went to as a recreation area when she was, you know, a kid. So helping, you know, individuals who don't necessarily have any background in archaeology or, you know, may not have had the opportunity to visit a lot of these historic sites uh, and just finding a connection is, you know, something that we hope will happen. And a lot of times it does. And we hope that even after, you know, they leave the VCP, that that kind of, you know, special connection with location and place continues and that they, you know, continue to take their families to different kind of 
public areas and, and yeah, I can tell you so. that you know in my career as an archaeologist, um, you know the 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 projects that are probably most near and dear, you know, to me as a as an individual are always the ones where we had either local folks either participating or, you know, somebody who shows up off the site and they they have some connection to it. And sometimes they're very tenuous connections. But just watching them, you know, actively engage in what's going on and just being part of it and asking questions. And oftentimes you know, adding new context and new clues because you know, lots of these folks bring something, they bring their own historical story to the project. And, you know, they are as much teacher as they are students um, in the right in the right setting and the right opportunity. So I appreciate that very much. You know, Shannon, one of the things that um, you know, you you had mentioned earlier was about the the excitement around the discovery. And so I want to dig into that a little bit. As the the non-purposely, I guess, trained archaeologist in this group. So you're coming to this, but you you have a background that lends itself in many ways um, to the work that you're doing and certainly through your experience. But you know, share with us a little bit about some, uh, you know, a moment, I guess, if you will, or, or a piece of the work that you're doing that just truly gets you excited in a way that you might not have thought about before, since this wasn't necessarily the particular path that you started started out on. Absolutely. Um, right now, I'm working on um, a box that has a number of different types of fragmented glass and also bottles and bottoms and bases, and some of them are still together. And the the thing about it, I'm looking at it and I'm wondering, okay, is this from the last 50, 60, 100, 200 years? And I wonder whose bottle is this? Whose plate is this? Mm. Okay, this button, where did this button come from? And there was um, something that we saw that we didn't know what it was. And we asked one of the managers and they had to go do research on finding out what it was. And all of us in the office, we stopped. Whenever it's something that none of us have experienced or saw before. And only one of our, one of my colleagues, he has an undergrad in archaeology. He, well, basically, he's the only archaeologist outside of our managers <laughs> and archivists. So, of course, you know, he's just as interested as everyone else. So it piques my interest each and every time we find something. But I also build an appreciation more and more for those things that are excavated, but also more for archaeologists as a whole. So as just like with any job you do, you I'm taking it a lot more personal now because mm-hmm. I'm touching it. Now it's a part of me. I'm touching what ancestors have touched. So I sometimes feel the energy from it and I go, wow, so you made this from hand. And I said, well, how did this break or where did this come from? Where did you come from? So of course, with all of us, we're all interested and that's the energy within our lab. And that's how we interact with each other. That's whether it be the managers or my colleagues. And it's like almost like we're all equals, but we're all learning from one another and experiencing everything new all at the same time. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I can tell that you love it. And that's really exciting. Um, So, you know, I I will tell students all the time when they ask me, so, you know, what is it that you do? And I sort of explain to them, you know, as an archaeologist or as an anthropologist, and I can sort of see them still thinking about it. And, And then I'll always say, well, you know, we are the scientists of humanity. 
And suddenly, you know, their their eyes get really big. And no, that's not a formal definition. My colleagues give me <laughs> grief about it all the time. So I'll own that one. But the reality of it is, if you think about that sort of day-to-day interaction that an archaeologist is having with society as a whole, right? You know, we are often, you know, the element that is telling that story. We're providing the connection. We're making it culturally relevant in any given moment based on the work that we're doing. And so, you know, my perspective is that, yeah, so we we are in fact the scientists of humanity. And so that, that sort of gives me the lens through which I get excited about it and sort of jazzed about it as well. So Kelly, can you share with us a little bit about the structure of the program? You mentioned that you only get five months with the Shannons of the world. So how exactly is is this program structured? So in other words, there's four sites. We, we heard that from Jessica, but how many participants? And this has been going on since 2009. And, and what's happened to these folks after the fact? What, what do we know about these things? So um, like I said, we get about five months uh, per session with our technicians. Typically, uh, our, our class sizes are a little bigger than they usually are right now because of COVID. We have some restrictions on how many people we can have. But um, our average la- uh, size of technician class sizes are about, um, I'd say 10. We usually have about 10 people in with us. And when we get our technicians in, like I said, the first thing we usually do is our in-depth week of training with that big overall scope of what is anthropology, what is archaeology. And then we start to zoom in a bit and we're going to, we start with, here's an overview of archaeology and the collection that you're going to be working with on the artifact side of the house. And we, we spend the, about the first month of the program um, having the technicians just process the artifacts. Helps them get a, kind of a good hand on what provenience is, what a site number looks like, and they get really familiar sort of with the specific uh, collection they're going to be working with. And then about a month or two into the program, they will get trained on um, digital photography. They'll learn how to take photos of the artifacts and they'll also get their archives training at that point. Um, Archives training can be a little more intense than the artifacts training. takes about a week and can be a little (laughs) boring. Um, I've, (laughs) <laughs> Shannon's shaking her head I for my guests who are just listening. <laughs> Memories. As the archives lab manager, I've accepted that it's not as fun as artifacts training. Um, I've tried to make it a little more fun. I've done things like archives Jeopardy, which is, you know, you gotta you gotta be fun where you can. So we try to throw some games into training and stuff. So after after that, that we we consider that kind of as you're fully trained once you've had your artifacts, your photography, and your archive training, and then halfway through the program, which is usually about two and a half three months into the program, uh, we start what we call professional growth and development, which is where the technicians really get a chance to work on their resume, sort of translating all their military skills and uh, lingo into civilian uh, <laughs> vocabulary for the resume, so that. Um, mm-hmm they can start sending it out to jobs. Um, they can also start looking at um, things like if they're more interested in going back to school or getting their uh, veteran abil- disabilities or, you know, catching up with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, we can help with that kind of thing as well. We also try to get guest speakers. In. So very full full service in yeah. terms of the way you think about the experience. So this five months is, A, you're going to have this grand appreciation for 
for um, archaeological and archival collections. That's 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 a bonus. Um, you all become um, advocates um, and stewards of you know our cultural heritage. So that's awesome. But then also to sort of help with some some of the other other components that might be necessary as folks move on to whatever the next thing is going to be after right, that five yeah. months. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So so Jessica, the the ten per class ish is that at each site or is that in total and then these folks are distributed around the country to do the five more it's sort of help help us understand that component of it a little bit yeah sure ideally it's it's about 10 uh, okay. per location the San Mateo labs a little bit smaller they're a newer lab and they're still growing a bit um so we have had kind of when we're you know in full operation and mm-hmm. not mid-pandemic, we, we've had up to around 40 um, veterans in the program, uh, you know, per session. And, you know, we're hoping to get back to that, you know, at some point soon. We'll see. Our, our next session uh, will begin in May. Um, so we're, you know, starting accept applications now. So if anybody's interested, um, you can get onto the veteranscreationprogram.org website um, and see the application there. Uh, fill out the application, submit your DD-214, and there's an email address at the bottom of the application where you can get everything. So yeah, we encourage you know all veterans to apply. There is kind of a priority for post-9-11 veterans. That's kind of how the language in the public law, you know, for the Veterans Creation the language in the public law. So they have priority, although we accept applications for all veterans. And so then, and anybody can just jump right in on this one. I'm really, really curious, um, sort of if there is overlap with the participants. So as Shannon comes in, does she work with folks that participated before? That was one of my questions. And then the other question is sort of as folks then transition out of the program, you know, so do folks just end up in lots and lots, I would assume, of, you know, a million different places, different careers, different different options and aspirations, I would assume, as diverse as the participants, right? Um, so I'm just curious about those two things. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's really diverse. I mean, everything from, you know, dental technician to, you know, administrators in the federal government, I mean, it runs the gamut. We do, however, I would say in each lab, maybe, you know, each session, there's maybe one or two veterans that do have an interest in, mm-hmm. you know, museum studies, archaeology, anthropology, sure. something related. And we do, we do try to hire um, graduates of the program on to be lab managers because they know the program best and they know how to take advantage of the program in the best way. Um, so we do have a, a few graduates that are currently um, lab managers. And that that's definitely a goal. Excellent. That's a that's a fabulous aspiration for the program. That That's awesome. So Shannon, I want to circle back with you just a little bit and sort of, so if, at what stage are you in this? So you're pretty early on in the program. I mean, the next class starts in May, so mid way through um we're at almost at the tail end because we're we were a really? special group okay. because of the pandemic and what's okay. been amazing is that although i have the arts administration graduate degree the majority of my resume is banking and finance so of course they're one I of the same in the materials you sent over right. yeah i was like right. wow check that out so uh, <laughs> i have to admit that being a part of this program has done wonders with shifting my resume into the direction that I want to go. And therefore, it pushed me more so into museum studies 
aspect, or should I say, just within working for different museums around the country. And I looked at my resume and I started getting more and more hits because of this organization. But also I had the guidance and the leadership of, of course, my managers here and also everybody else above them providing assistance with whomever is specialized at working, let's say, at a very prominent museum. They worked there before. Hey, you got time to meet up. We can talk about it. We can, mm-hmm. I can give you what my experience was when I was there. Okay, let's do some mock interviews. And they are awesome yeah. at that. And mm-hmm. especially if you haven't, let's say what a lot of military uh, personnel, they've never had a job outside of the military. So doing a resume, right. trying to take the proper classes. I mean, if anything, you're like, well, let me go get an education. So yeah, I got an education. So what do I do next? Because I've never done this yeah. before. The leadership here, mm-hmm. they've been guiding us with resume critiquing, making sure that we get the proper training. If there's some other courses that we can take uh, that could be in reference to archaeology that are free, we take them. If there are any organizations to be a part of, they recommend those as well. Yeah, absolutely. That is so awesome. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to find out where you land. Uh, me too. And you know, any music, I know, I, I'm sure, but any museum or organization that gets you will just be they'll be lucky to have you. So that's, you. that's really, really exciting, Shannon. I, I, I do truly want to want to hear, hear what, what happens. So Kelly, as you get ready for the next group to come in in May, what, what's that going to look like? Is there, I mean, I, I, the, the, the week of PowerPoints, they'll survive that. They'll, they'll learn of the photography, the other pieces. Um, is there, do you know sort of what collections are coming your way and sort of you sort of have that scaffolded or is it always just going to be this sort of big surprise? So I guess I'm just really curious if, if you're going to be part of this class that is going to be applying, because I'm sure you'll have folks that'll hear it and go, oh, I should do that, right? What, what, what is it that they're going to be getting in the middle of? So uh, we currently in Augusta are working on some pretty big collections that <laughs> we're probably still going to be working <laughs> on uh, for a, several more months. <laughs> so uh, we have a collection from North Georgia that we're working on and it's prehistoric, has lots of prehistoric materials. And we have another collection from Mississippi that has a lot of historic materials in it. But usually... We, we kind of know in advance what mater- like collections we're going to have. Um, some labs get a lot smaller mm-hmm. collections that come in and out pretty fast. So it could be you may not, you don't know kind of what you're going to get. Uh, it, it's kind of up to the core right. <laughs> what's going to get right. sent to your lab. So all we get is a, hey, you've got a new collection coming your way. You just sent one out. So we're sending another one to you. And um you never know what's going to be in the box until you kind of open it up, you know. And that's so. sort of the fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is indeed. So. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Jessica, as we wrap the program up then, you know, what does the future of this program look like? And, you know, in addition to the fact that, you know, more collections and boxes keep coming, which is really, really awesome. You know, when you sort of, having been in this program for for such a long time, sort of think about the the iterations that I assume that it's gone over, what's next for this program? Is it more of the same or is there something that you see coming along? Because I'm kind of curious about the the modifications because of the pandemic and how much of a virtual experience. And is there some, is there some tie back into some of the positive impacts that have come from the pandemic forcing us all to live, work, and think differently? Um, and then how does that, you know, yeah. perhaps uh, translate back into this program? Yeah, I think, so the, the pandemic allowed us to take a pause for a little bit and work on a lot of the 
that we, um, you know, weren't keeping up with. We, what we're doing at the VCP, like I, I look at it almost as like a, a template that could be applied, you know, elsewhere. I mean, other other groups um, could be processing documents from a lot of different, you know, agencies or other organizations. So it, it gives a chance to to look at it again and um, also kind of get in writing what, what we do here. So we did a lot of work on our supervisor manual. And um, that that is a big thanks to all of the managers that put a lot of time into it. And also to the core who gave us that time to be able to do that and to work on that remotely. Um, so we, you know, and hopefully in the next couple of months, we're going to have the supervisor manual ready that, um, you know, we'll be able to use and, and help record and kind of allow us to share what we do here at the BCP. That was a really important step. Other than that, you know, I have to say that every session is kind of mm-hmm. new because we get a new group of really interesting people in the labs. So we are constantly like shifting. Um, the managers are amazing at identifying the needs of each group and saying, uh-oh, we need a new PowerPoint uh-oh. for <laughs> this specific thing. Or it doesn't have to be a PowerPoint, but just a, a new training tool or a new whatever that group needs. Um, we also have a lot of guest speakers in. So if we identify a group that maybe really wants, I don't know, to improve, say, their nutrition goals or health, like that, maybe we'll have a new guest speaker in that, that can speak to that. So I think, you know, the, the VCP is, is kind of getting bigger and, and changing, but we're always changing. We're always adapting. We're really, you know, we're just a really kind of unique uh, program in that way. And, and that's, you know, just the managers that are constantly looking for new ways to meet the needs of the veterans. What a very exciting program. I've enjoyed this conversation so very much. And so I want to thank you ladies for joining us today. And and thank you for the work that you do because it's it's very much needed. Um, it's absolutely intriguing and exciting. And I can see so many correlations between the work that you're doing uh, with veterans, the work that you're doing on collections, collection management, and, and, and data, quite frankly, data management tied to that. And then hopefully, um, you know, a lot of the communities or listeners, you know, our, our, our teachers and professionals can say, hey, we could do that too. And we could bring elements of that into our classroom and maybe get folks even younger thinking about the potential of these types of careers. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.